everyone. My name is Megna. And my name is Sid. And we want to welcome you to Sustainable Worlds. Our podcast, where we learn about the changing world around us, how to develop it, and the concept of sustainability, and how it ties back to you. We're just two very passionate people trying to figure out how to save our planet. We're incredibly grateful for each of you that listen. Enjoy our episode for today. Cool. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to start first? Um, I think you're a better starter, honestly. Wait, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, is this recording? Oh, it's recording. Okay, cool. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, my name is Sid. Um, I have my co-host, Magna, with me. Um, and we're here today kicking off this awesome podcast series. Um, wanted to lay down a couple of thoughts we had on sustainable development. Um, when I first heard that word, I, th- I think I was in like fourth grade, um, when I heard sustainable development, uh, it's all about being like a good citizen and everything. Uh, and fast forward to today, when we think of sustainable development, um, all I see on the news uh, is just, you know, things burning down or, you know, people are dying of starvation and things like that. Uh, I guess it kind of painted a negative connotation to me. Um, but overall, when I thought about so many different things and how we start this, the first thing that really, I guess, popped in my head is population, right? Um, how crowded, like our world is like, what, almost 8 billion people today? Um, yep, almost at 7.8, so yeah, little, we'll be at little 8 shy. billion pretty soon. Yeah, a little shy of 8 billion, um, and that's that's almost like 10 times since the Industrial Revolution started, which was like back in the early 18th century, um, and obviously like we're not slowing down i don't know if we are slowing down or not but it seems like uh the consensus is that that's just going up uh, in the 21st century it's causing a lot of inequality in various different ways um our world is kind of becoming depleted resources there's a lot of environmental challenges we're facing so modern day sustainable development i guess kind of comes down to that um so i thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the aim and goal of what we want to do and what we want to talk about with sustainable development right Um, So we talked a little bit about environmental challenges. um, And this isn't necessarily just environment as in like, you know, the trees and plants and stuff like that around you, but things like economic factors, social factors, um, and of course, environmental factors that traditionally what we consider that political factors, cultural factors, how do all of these sort of play on top of each other to have overall sustainable development? Um, The idea is, I guess, how do we make the world both prosperous and and fair uh, and also environmentally sustainable at the same time Um, so it's not just us um, that other people can enjoy it and obviously at the end of the day our planet isn't completely becoming trampled on uh, in terms of uh, resource utilization Um, yeah I think yeah you're right I was a better starter (laughs) Um, (laughs) well I mean I think that's a good kind of way to really understand Um, The proper definition of sustainable development will uh, just for everyone and listening to the podcast for both Sid and I to really get a good idea of of what the goal is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the proper definition is that economic development um, should be conducted without the depletion of natural resources. Mm -hmm. So essentially we should be able to be 
you know, successful human beings, successful societies, but without depleting, you know, our planet and um, kind of what you said, running it to the ground. Yeah, completely like essentially taking over and then realizing there's like nothing left for anybody else that will arrive in the future. Um, but right. I mean, it's hard, right? Yeah, no, exactly. It's, uh, it's you know, dealing with this fact is like an incredibly complex thing to wrap your mind around, you know. Right. We, you know, have so many problems going on in the world today, obviously, but this is a very, very uh, knotted one. Like, I essentially see this as like a giant knot of, yeah. you know, all these other factors of health and poverty yeah. and inequality that you mentioned. And then yeah. we have to unravel them kind of one by one. Yeah. And to kind of keep in mind and something I, I want to keep in mind in the whole podcast is that, you know, the solution for this is not going to be some magic formula. You know, it's mm. going to be complex answers it's probably going to be many many complex answers like mm -hmm. we're going to have to be able to you know devise uh different solutions in different areas of the yeah, world it's like interdisciplinary exactly um, it's similar i think to how the fight for cancer has kind of evolved it's not just a biology subject anymore there's so many different fields kind of working together to solve the problem and, and i kind of see it the same way um i wouldn't necessarily go as far as to term this as humanity is a cancer to <laughs> to sustainable development but in a way like I think you're right we're, we're kind of looking at multiple different uh, people and backgrounds and disciplines working together to solve this problem and I think that's what makes it so challenging um, but I think though like I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a full-on optimist but um, we have made progress right I mean there's yeah, for sure there's cool things that we've done uh, throughout this history of however long we've lived on this planet um, we basically invented technologies to make the world a smaller place. Um, Connected so many people yeah. all across the world. Yeah, um, and and just life is so much easier. I mean, obviously, like I wouldn't trade living now to how it was 200 years ago. Um, so there's there's been improvements in terms of just like standard of living in general. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I think like business and technology has really been able to like connect every single aspect of you know. A society of, of yeah. you know, trade ideas production yeah. um, and then also connect us to kind of our earth and how we use those resources, resources that yeah. our earth gives us to be conducting all yeah. of that technology and business yeah but you know I, I agree you know I, I, I want to be optimistic about all the amazing changes we've had but right. we also have to pause and understand that how unprecedented you know our evolution has been towards you know the climate yeah uh, humanity has been, you know, changing so much biodiversity, um, you know, what species are able to survive on the planet, what kind of plants and, and how our ozone layer works, just like the chemistry of everything has been changing around us. Um, yeah. And, you know, over overall, the availability of these fresh resources that we use, you know, so um, so Yeah, often. it's just changed. Yeah, yeah it's just uh, completely changed. And it's, it's kind of like ha asking us to have sort of a moral conscience on how kind of we've used these resources and what are we going to do about it to sort of protect it uh it's uh it brings up an interesting thing in my head um i don't know if you've watched patriot act on netflix the show by hassan minaj where um he talks every episode about a different issue and he's definitely mentioned environmental damage multiple times um and at, at the end of one episode i remember he particularly said um you know, I, I know it's very overwhelming to have your attention on so many different things at the same time, especially yeah. 
you know, as people, we're not experts. Um, of course, you know, the average human is not an expert. Like, how do we solve this? Um, the mentality of, I'm going to admit it sometimes, the mentality for me is, you know, if, if the greatest scientists in the world are still solving this, I mean, what hope do I have of like trying to figure something out? But we're here to change that in a way, I guess, with this podcast. And I think that's what we're trying to kind of lay down here is talking about how we become aware of these changes that we've been creating on the planet. Um, and it, it, it's it's fascinating in a way, right? It's fascinating. And, and you know, we it's, it's kind of like the challenge of our generation is trying to see what we can do with it. Awesome. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I think before the break, we kind of stopped at um, talking a little bit about the four pillars of uh, sustainable development. Uh, we didn't get to it. Uh, we, we sort of mentioned why, I guess, Megna and I were motivated to do this. Um, but so that being said, we'll, we'll dive right into those four pillars. And I am going to sound a little bit more animated to you know, <laughs> make sure you guys don't fall asleep. We're having fun, I promise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so four pillars. Uh, sustainable development um, for us, in a way, is to understand these different nuanced, uh, um, I guess, things kind of interacting with each other. They're pretty complicated. Um, useful to think of the challenges, like kind of like a puzzle with four dimensions. Uh, the economics, just like trade and business, yep. uh, things like that. Um, social dimension, it's, it's basically how people living in a community work, um, how their cultures kind of interact with each other. Um, there's also like a natural environment to it. Uh, obviously we talk about climate change and I'm, I think I'm blanking on the last one. What's, what was the last one? Uh, it's our political and government, government systems. systems. That's right. Um, yeah. So kind of a better way to do this is kind of understand how do these, you know, four pillars interact? How does economics, uh, society, social, mm -hmm. environmental, and government systems interact together? Yep, yep. Um, so in the approach that we're going to be taking for the podcast, we really want to analyze kind of how these four pillars interact. And then as a result, be able to kind of identify the goals that we want to set, you know, for ourselves, for all of you guys listening, and also for kind of the countries and governments that are kind of the largest players in this field, the ones that will be able to really make those large decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so I think sustainable development in general is really pushing us, uh, you know, as, as human beings really to have more of a holistic vision of kind of what a good intersectional mm -hmm. society should really look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So tell me more kind of about the first first pillar, Sid. Yeah, I, and, and I want to mention, I'm, I'm telling you, this sounds like Thanos where he's like perfect balance with everything, <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's almost perfect. Um, so the first pillar I wanted to talk, uh, I think we mentioned, was around economics. Um, and then also we'll touch base a little bit into the, the social side of things. Um, you know, when we talk about economics, we're talking at a societal level, just like a very small like scale unit. Um, we're talking about a good society. Uh, it could be potentially equally a rich society. And by rich here, I mean people who have access to resources and, and for lack of a better word, people who have more money. Um, but we know it can't be focused on, on just the economics, right? Like a good society isn't necessarily just, oh, there's just a lot of rich people living here, so it's a good society. Um, for, for example, if, if a country is rich on average, um, let's 
take the example of the United States, uh, all the wealth, if it's held by a very few percentage of people at the top, um, which we commonly refer to as like the top 1%, um, most of the people otherwise are, I guess, relatively poor, then is it really a good society? Um, That's mo- a really interesting question. Right? Yeah. I mean, would, would most of us say yes to that or no to that? And and, and and that's something that I want to, I think overall, like through as we go through this podcast, we'll think about that a lot. Um, there's a lot of inclusion aspects that are coming in there um, when we sort of dive from economics into the social section of it. Um, so now I, I think, Magna, do you want to talk a little bit about social inclusion? I think it plays a pretty pivotal role with uh, economics. Yeah, I mean, I think from what you were saying that like understanding that is it a fair fair society is it is it mm-hmm. just is is it everyone is everyone okay yeah um and i don't i don't think it is you know i think i would i would say i that isn't what a good society should look like mm-hmm. and i think social inclusion has so many different aspects to it and if we're continuing with this you know united states example do people have equal access to health care do people have equal access to education right. to um you know different race-based scenarios and uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, making sure all of those things are taken care of mm-hmm. um, for communities and for, you know, their own citizens. Yeah. So essentially what that means is that the economic well-being uh, ends up being widely shared, you know, among different religious people, different racial groups, um, mm-hmm. between different genders and also different regions of the country. You know, you'll yeah. even realize in the U.S. so much of the wealth is held in, you know, states like California or New York because yeah. those are, you know, huge economic centers yeah. um, of prosperity. Kind of like powerhouses for the country. Yeah, yeah, but what about like all the middle regions of the country? Yeah. You know, like what is, you know, the Idaho or, yeah. you know, the Midwest essentially their lives are so drastically different and mm-hmm. I, I just don't think you know we're going to be able to be um that yeah. rich good society that you know we were referring to until we're really able to yeah you know spread that economic well-being through all all right parts. but it, i feel like this has been kind of like a time and time challenge that's like been around for so long right i mean it's it's difficult to sort of um i guess uh challenge that and then challenge that notion that you know wealth and cap uh, capital should be equally distributed um we've seen in many different scenarios where it's not and we've seen that people fighting for it um has increased i feel like it uh, or maybe the awareness has just gone up and, and for sure yeah well i guess we'll we'll, we'll kind of delve deeper into it as we go forward um now that we kind of talked a little bit about economics and social aspect i wanted to go into the second pillar um, is uh, the environment around us, right? So this is where I'm talking about traditionally the environment around us. When we think about our oceans, our lakes, um, the trees around us, our parks, everything that you know we enjoy on a good Saturday morning, basically, um, all the resources we're getting, um, agriculturally speaking, so things that we plant, all the food that you know we consume every day, um, all this is very important. So when we talk good society. Um, don't you think it's important for us to obviously consider those and value those? Um, and in, in that way, is our society scalable and sustainable? Um, and if we sort of not necessarily break the systems, but we kind of overuse it or push it to a limit, um, are we really affecting, and we are affecting a lot of these biodiverse systems. We're destroying the oceans. We're deforesting rainforests. Um, ultimately, we're going to lose. 
and and I think we have to change our path in that sense. And I think those are things that really spoke to me um, when I think sustainable development, right? Climate change is, I obviously got very like emotional and animated <laughs> at that point, but it's it's a big deal for me. Um, and I think I think as humans, we have to change our path and it, and it starts with this kind of awareness of trying to understand it. Um, because I think the path uh, to the Earth's climate in a way is kind of unrecognizable for us, but I think we need to become more intelligent and recognize that. Yeah, I'm really, really, you know, excited to kind of explore more about how, you know, we're affecting the world around us and what right. we can be doing to kind of help change that, um, especially with that climate change as aspect, because I think that's kind of the biggest, most imminent uh, threat to our society right now. Um, our very existence, really. Yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. really excited to kind of learn more and, and see what, you know, different people all over the world are, mm -hmm. are doing to really help drive that forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, and I think that there is a lot of cool work going on outside. Um, For sure. Where, you know, people are thinking about renewable energy to reduce carbon emissions. People are thinking about um, how do we reduce deforestation? How do we reduce plastic pollution? Things like that. So there is a lot of work going on, but um, it's just a hard problem to solve. As, as I think Bill Gates put it really well, it's, it's a tough problem to solve. As humans, we've solved tough problems, but the idea is we're on a clock. Um, so it, it just becomes that much harder. Um, yeah, so I think... Uh, you know, we've talked about that. Um, it's kind of the best time to look into that fourth pillar um, of government systems. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone really, everyone kind of cares about how their government functions. You know, yeah. any any citizen, whether you're rich, you're poor, you're a female, you're a male, you have to care about how your government functions or else you won't be able to, you know, uh, fight for your own rights, fight for what you believe in right. and, and be able to, you know, be a citizen in the way you want to be a citizen. Right. I mean, it affects ultimately like what your society is going to look like, right? Exactly. So I think it makes a very, very powerful impact on who's running your government locally or federally or whatever else. It's important that whoever is representing us is representing our views and obviously what we want with our society. Yeah, so, so. yeah. I, I think yeah. If you, I, I think you do a better job with this. Definitely, I think she, <laughs> she gets very passionate about this stuff. So I'll uh, let her add in a few more thoughts on what she thinks. Um, so, so I guess what my question, and this might be very naive of me saying it. Every time someone thinks government, it's always like, oh, the government's so slow. They're just uh, not as efficient in attacking problems. Do you do you think that's true, or is this a lot of bureaucracy kind of holding the government up? I mean, I think it depends on which government you're talking about really um i remember watching this documentary probably sometime in high school honestly about different government systems and mm. it was it's something that really stuck with me through almost like 15 years yeah um so it, it, the documentary looked at um essentially starting a business the ability to start a business in three countries the united states um, India and Japan. Mm -hmm. So just kind of as a normal human being would go through the process of, you know, applying for an LLC or a nonprofit or, you know, whatever business they're applying for. Right. And how soon could they get that um, get that result back? What, mm -hmm. When when could their business be started? Right. Um, the result of that was actually really interesting. So what ended up happening is in Japan, um, if you applied, you know, through this procedure, yeah. you would be able to start your own business in essentially two days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were super efficient. You know, everything was run on computers. Everyone was very responsive. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the United States, right. um, 
which is the next one, mm -hmm. um, it it took a little bit of time, uh, definitely more than Japan. It took about you know three months to get wow. your business and you know all the all the paperwork done, all yeah. your IRX, you know tax forms filed and everything. Right. It's not crazy amount of time, but obviously not as good as Japan. Yeah. Um, and in India, it was actually uh, crazy. This one really blew my mind, especially since I'm from India. Um, the reason India was so so slow. Um, it took you over a year oh, wow. to start a business. Yeah, and there was a lot of factors into it. You know, there was just like you mentioned, so much more population density in India. Right. And then just because of infrastructure, so much stuff was still doing been doing by hand. Mm -hmm. um, there were still physical files, paperwork to be transported. Right. Nothing was digitized. So yeah. I think you know to answer your question, I think it really depends on what government you're talking about but mm -hmm. those factors you know there's a valid concerns for people yeah absolutely. and on top of that you know yeah. like there's so much corruption and and mm -hmm. so many of these businesses or sorry governments yeah. <laughs> all across the world yeah there's billions of people living in some of these countries mm -hmm. um yeah yeah absolutely yeah and no, i think that kind of like goes into this whole fight tug of war between like public versus private sector um so i think that I mean I know we're kind of <laughs> running short on time and I don't want to like use up our entire time kind of debating about it but I'm, I'm glad you brought up a lot of these points because I know they're going to become pretty important later on um, there's obviously a lot of private companies working on helping solve a lot of challenges with the environment and everything um, but it's it's just fascinating to see how both the public and private sector can potentially work together and change to, the world yeah and solve this problem as naive as it sounds um, yeah, so um, here uh, we'll take a bit of a break real quick. Um, we I know we mentioned uh, a lot of different things with these pillars. Um, they do form a pretty important framework because um, we're going to be referring back to them over and over again. Um, so overall, I guess, uh, from like a normative perspective, I think to sum it up, we could say that good society is not only a wealthy society, but it's one that's prosperous, um, it's inclusive of everybody and, and their beliefs. Um, and of course, environmentally sustainable. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we want it to be well governed because we want to maintain these things in these states uh, to ensure that, you know, it's not just us, but our future generations that can also enjoy this. But we'll be right back. Um, stay with us. Hey guys, welcome back from the break. One thing I wanted to also talk about is kind of how we structure these episodes. So the first part, you know, that we already went through is obviously going to be a lot of theoretical knowledge, things, you know, new pieces of information that we're all kind of learning together. But we also wanted to kind of take a couple minutes at the end of the episode and, and talk about how these issues are going to actually be applied in the real world, how different countries and different economies are taking a lot of these problems that we already talked about and actually applying them. That's right. So we'll be doing a couple minutes kind of of a case study uh, at the end of the episode and get into doing that. Um, but I want to take a couple of minutes to do a quick recap of, you know, what we've learned today because I know it's been a ton of different information. So the first thing that we kind of started with is how population is kind of a driver and an engine for 
you know, a lot of the growth and overuse of resources that our, you know, planet is, is mm -hmm. taking today. Yeah. Um, we're almost at 8 billion people that's, you know, using resources after resource consistently every single day. Um, that's ended up leading to a lot of inequality, uh, the wealth gap and, and crippling poverty, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and all sorts of environmental challenges that have come definitely. by too. So everything is like a domino effect, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's such a complex uh, intersectional problem. Mm -hmm. The world economy is, you know, connected by people, businesses, technology, and it's, you know, not stopping anytime soon. Honestly, it's a unprecedented, you know, rate of growth um, in our economy right now. So we also ended up touching on the four main pillars that kind of make up sustainable development and how we're looking at this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one, the first two really being, um, you know, the economic aspect as well as the social aspect of, of our goals. Mm -hmm. You know, just because we're a good society, which is economically prosperous, doesn't right. mean, you know... We're the right society. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we need to be socially inclusive as well as being economically prosperous. Mm -hmm. Pillar two, uh, or pillar three, my bad, was about how we're able to do this in a scalable and sustainable fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, how are we able to do this without using every single environmental resource, you know, Damaging possible? It. yeah. Um, and then the last pillar is kind of ties a lot of that together is how are our governments all over the world being able mm -hmm. to practice a lot of these? How are they being able to be economically sound, socially inclusive, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, environmentally sustainable um, and still, you know, keep their citizens happy and and really drive a lot of, you know, their normal growth, day to day growth forward. Yeah, it's really is like a challenge of our generation. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, uh, I hope you guys really learned a lot today. Um, I had a great time talking to you guys and uh, Sid's going to actually take us through our case study today. So really excited to learn about that. Oh man, Megna, don't leave me already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do the case study all by myself. Um, yeah, so I, I think like Megna mentioned, um, it's not always about just the, what we learn out of the textbook. Um, I want to make sure, I, I know I learn very well when it's practically applied. <laughs> Uh, to a real-world scenario. So all these concepts that we learned today, we're going to try and apply it to a real-world scenario. Um, and I think one of the best things that we could do uh, is talk about China. Um, as of today, in 2020, China is probably one of the biggest economic drivers and engines of the world. Um, when you think about any product or service or anything that you get, everything comes from China, whether it's your phone, clothes or any kind of technology, anything um, is outsourced there and that's where you get it from. Um, the idea, or a little bit of interesting history behind China is that it wasn't always like that. Um, back in the 1970s, um, China was actually not as great in terms of economic growth. There were a lot of people that were in poverty, a lot of people lost jobs. Um, there is a lot of economic recession and depression that was kind of going on in the country um, and things really needed to change. Um, I mean, fast forward to today, you wouldn't even think that that was even China back then, right? Um, I know we mentioned a lot of different sustainable uh, development concepts, but I think it would be useful to kind of go through a, a very quick recap of what you would learn in a basic economics class. Um, we, we talk a little bit about what we call GDP, 
Um, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, GDP is an acronym which stands for Gross Domestic Product. It's basically just a measure of how well a country is doing in terms of money. It's essentially just an entire uh, you know, summation of how much goods and services that you've sold and, uh, for lack of a better word, transacted throughout the year. Um, the reason I'm mentioning this is because GDP is a really important metric that economists use to measure how countries have changed and how countries have developed um, and economically gotten better. So when you think about GDP for China, um, one of the things that I wanted to also mention um, was GDP also in itself is compared on different rates. There's a rule in economics called the rule of 70. Basically, the rule of 70 says that um, when you take the year over year growth rate, and when I say growth rate, I'm talking about growth in GDP. Um, and that percentage, when you divide that um, by 70, or sorry, the other way around, when you divide 70 by that number, um, whatever the answer that comes out of it is how long it takes for that country to double that GDP number. So let me, I, I know I threw a lot of things here, so let me kind of give a quick example um, going with China. So rule of 70 for China when applied um, during this period of economic boom between the 1970s to 2020 as of today um, showed that China was having a 10% growth year over year. So when you take the rule of 70, so you divide 70 by 10, um, you get seven, right? So basically that's telling me that China doubled its GDP every seven years. Uh, and to sort of put that into perspective, um, normally for countries, it takes about 25 to 30 years for them to double um, their GDP. So when you think about it like that, China was growing insanely fast. Um, it almost doubled basically every five, it, it doubled five times um, uh, in, in a span of seven, every seven years, uh, which means overall their entire economy has grown by a factor of like, what, two to the fifth power, which is like 30, 32 years or 32 times, sorry. Um, and a lot of this was primarily possible because China sort of opened up to international trade. They loosened up market forces. The government was a lot more centralized, so they were controlling a lot of the things that were going in and out of the country. Um, and you might think that this might kind of stop innovation, but in, it actually helped positively boom their innovation a lot more. Um, a lot of things flourished. So government basically allowed businesses to flourish, create jobs, and pushed people to get better education. Um, to kind of put this in words, you can tell from the, uh, from the city of Shenzhen. Shenzhen was a city uh, with about 30,000 people um, mm -hmm. in 1980. Uh, and in 2002, it grew to 12 million. What? Yeah. So that's like what? My math is correct. Um, that's like about 22 years. 22 30 22 years <laughs> um and so people began flocking to all of these cities because obviously there's job opportunities um there's a lot of market competition there's more opportunities for people becoming entrepreneurs um and so everyone from rural china started forcing themselves into urban china um and this basically gave people something to live for and and you know there's a lot of urban development skyscrapers started popping up housing in cities started popping up um, and so because of this urbanization, China, which was primarily an agricultural economy, started becoming more of an industrial economy. It kind of went through its mini industrial revolution, if you think about it. Um, there were uh, lower mortality rates, like infants were living longer, medical technologies was getting better, life expectancy was getting better as you would expect, public health was getting better. 
um, and people were just more driven to do better uh, and do better for their families. Um, their education attainment, I think this one just blows my mind more than anything. Yeah. Their education attainment went up so much more. Did you know China actually turns out the most PhDs in the entire world? Until to date, I think that's still true. Um, which, when you think about it, is insane. I mean, a PhD takes like, what, five years? Five or seven years no, to complete? almost seven years. Yeah. yeah. So it's just crazy when you think about it. So almost every single person basically is a subject matter expert in whatever it is that they're doing. Um, so this all sounds good, right? I mean, they, they really obviously blew up and, and, you know, they went from nothing to absolutely being a powerhouse and a force to be reckoned with. But there's obviously downsides to everything that they've done. Yeah, they've improved economically and there is good social inclusion, but there's, there, there's a lot of uh, destruction in the environment that also happened, right? Um, in order for them to actually accelerate this fast in their economy, they had to make some really harsh decisions in terms of how they were utilizing resources in their environment. Um, this caused a lot of lives to be damaged. Basically, everybody living, for example, on the far east side of China experienced sea levels rising, a lot of floods and you know unexpected, unpredictable weather patterns. People were dying by hundreds of millions, essentially, and their, their, their lives were being risked because of that. Um, air pollution levels gone up. Obviously, we've heard the over worst. the years yeah. that Beijing is one of the worst cities for terrible air pollution. Um, there was, in a way, income inequality. One of the things Magna mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about income inequality because um, population becomes a driver uh, for um, you know excessive use of our resources. This causes income inequality. So there's a huge gap between how many people are rich versus the people who are poor are really poor. Um, there's obviously devastation of physical environments, a lot of trees and a lot of forests and things like that were chopped down to build factories and houses and everything to basically sustain their insane population, right? Because I guess families will start thinking about having more kids. And, and so because of this, China, which was already the world's most populous country, started booming even more. Um, there are a lot of premature deaths that were happening. Um, not the obviously not the infant mortality rate. And when I talk premature deaths here, I'm talking more uh, people suffering from different kinds of cancers, for example, because of pollution um, in the water and the air. Um, and obviously, overall cancer rates were just growing up. So it, it's kind of like a juxtaposition of dystopia versus utopia, right? Um, it's a book by George Orwell where he kind of talks about this dystopian future. The most crazy books. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's scary to think it's becoming real life if we don't really think sustainably, right? Um, and, and I wanted to sort of leave you guys with this thought of sort of thinking about how all of these concepts that initially might have seemed a bit disparate and kind of separate separated um they sort of came together here right we talked a lot about how population growth and this ambition to become more economically successful and prosperous um in an unsustainable way was really damaging not only the environment but the people as well china was a good example where we saw that there was an inequality between how some people were really rich and some people weren't um, there's a lot of uh, uh, damage that we saw in terms of agriculture, in terms of you know rural areas being destroyed by factories, uh, rural areas being displaced by you know these crazy floods and weather patterns that were going on. Um, and and you know fast forward to today, China's probably one of the biggest countries that's contributing to global warming that's going on in the world. Um, so overall, I think that you know as as we come to the conclusion of this episode. Um, I, we want to leave you guys with these thoughts to sort of think about how everything we're learning isn't just textbook knowledge, but it's actually kind of being put together practically 
uh, with different examples. Um, I don't know, Magna, do you want to add something to that? Or, um, you know, what are your thoughts about how what we're learning is really tying everything together? Yeah, I mean, I think the China example was such an important one because it used all of those four pillars, essentially, like how mm -hmm. they are able to amazingly grow their economy. Um, a lot of, you know, social inclusion ended up happening. But at the same time, you know, those other two pillars of, you know, government systems and, and mm -hmm. the environmental systems were actually deteriorated a lot you know yeah. in that time and um, obviously we talked about the environment a lot but you know even with the government there was always you know most recently until like a couple months ago there were continuous protests and a lot of you know violence going on so essentially we don't know yeah. you know what that if the citizens of that country are necessarily happy with those government systems but yeah um, I know. I think I think that was a really, really good example. And I think it definitely taught me a lot. Um, I'm, I hope it taught you guys a lot as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of continue doing this with you guys and, and with you, Sid, to explore and, and learn concepts like this of being yeah. able to apply them to uh, a Real study, world. essentially. Yeah. And try to see how we can brainstorm different ways. And at the end of the day, even if like our some of our viewers just become aware of this, that's a start. Um, I think at the end of the day, what we see here is that the end always doesn't justify the means of how For we sure. achieve it. Um, and we, I, I think that's an important thing we want our viewers to remember by. So as we close up, um, we just we uh, do want to say thank you for listening in and tuning in to our first episode. Um, we are learning this as we are going. Um, first time podcasters here. So if you guys have any feedback for us, if there's any particular topics you guys are interested in, or if you read something on the news or online or anywhere that you know you want uh, as a recommendation for us to start a conversation around you know we would love to hear about it um, tweet at us um, you know like us on Facebook um, follow us on social media and you know we'll do our best to reach out and, and see if we could make that happen um, that being said I, I do want to say one last thing um, every episode is sort of kind of circles around different concepts and different things that you know Magna and I read um, in different books um, there's millions of books out there that have incredible amount of knowledge and information for everybody who's a first timer who's an intermediate who's even an expert to learn more things um, for this podcast specifically um, we want to really encourage people to check out the age of sustainable development uh, by jeffrey sachs um, he's a professor from um, columbia, columbia right yeah um, really cool guy i mean the way he wrote the book uh, the way he kind of expressed his not too much optimism but at the same time um, he's very positive that, you know, we can solve this problem. And I think a lot of it is just like kind of churning out the numbers and getting more people convinced into sort of fighting this. But that being said, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, next time uh, we will discuss about climate change. Um, we'll see you guys then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge the book, The Age of Sustainable Development by Jeffrey Sachs, a renowned economist. A lot of the content you heard today came from this book, and we highly encourage you to pick up a copy and check it out to learn more.